Welcome to the Bull Trout Show. I'm Cheryl Croucher. Everybody loves a fish story. This podcast is an opportunity to hear from the people who share a passionate interest in bull trout and the conservation of this native species. That includes scientists, government biologists, anglers, naturalists, and Indigenous nations in Alberta's eastern slopes. We know that before settlement, bull trout populated watersheds from their headwaters in the Rocky Mountains well onto the prairies. But not these days. Dr. Zoe Todd is a Métis scholar, fish philosopher, and co-investigator involved in a very different kind of science project about fish. It's sponsored by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and its New Frontiers in Research Fund. Dr. Todd is an Associate Professor of Indigenous Studies at Simon Fraser University, and it's a big project that she and her colleagues have been working on since 2019. It's called Plural Perspectives on Bighorn Country, Restoring Land Use, Governance, and Bull Trout Population Health in Alberta. And as a shorthand, we've been calling it the Restoring Bull Trout Project. Now, why bull trout and why the bighorn? That's a great question. Uh, So efforts to protect bull trout in Alberta have been ongoing for between 40 to 50 years in one way or another uh, in the scientific and naturalist world. And Indigenous communities have been advocating for the wise and careful use of Alberta's watersheds for a very, very long time. But in recent years, there have been significant efforts to protect bull trout, both with official designation as a threatened species under the uh, Species at Risk Act here in Canada. Uh, And there have been significant concerns about their ongoing decline. And this, for us as researchers, coincided very closely with efforts circa 2018 to protect one of the areas that bull trout are still found within, which is bighorn country in the eastern slopes of Alberta's Rocky Mountains. And this is an area that is very significant to Stony Nakoda nations, who we are working with closely on our project, and is an area that has come under increasing uh, concern and scrutiny in Alberta because of complicated efforts by different parties to open up access to that region to different forms of resource extraction that could have very big impacts on bull trout, but also on other trout indigenous to the province and other aquatic species. And so these two issues kind of came together. And one of the issues that helped motivate us to look at this was that in 2018, the then Alberta government under the leadership of the New Democrat Party was proposing a formalized protection of this region that did not go through. There was a change in government, but it did raise all sorts of really interesting questions for us about what Albertans want and desire in that area and and what do we need to sort of consider in order to protect that area for humans, but also for fish, uh, for other wildlife, for plants and other significant more than human beings that occupy that area. So we're passionate about fish. We're passionate about protecting Alberta's habitats and Indigenous homelands within the province. And we really wanted to help bring the scientists who have been asking some of these questions into conversation with Indigenous community leaders, knowledge keepers, and Indigenous people who are spending time on the land and and hold significant knowledge about this area. We wanted to create a space where those different community members could come together and discuss 
you know, our shared concerns about this area. And we really wanted to help scientists understand their responsibilities to Indigenous sovereignty in this area and to really bring that question of, you know, how does Indigenous sovereignty help us protect fish in a place like Alberta that's faced really, really significant um, impacts on freshwater fish species throughout the province in the short time that Alberta has existed as a province. An awful lot of this sounds like an environmental story, and yet you're in sociology. Explain what's going on here. Well, uh, the two co-PIs or co-principal investigators on this project are myself and Dr. Janelle Baker, who is an anthropologist and ethnobiologist who works at Athabasca University. And we are also working with Dr. Lorelei Hansen, who is an environmental studies professor at Athabasca. And our, one of our other co-applicants is Dr. Ozer Saluji, who is an architect. And together as the academic team on this project, all of us work on various questions of how people come to spend time in their environment, whether it's here in Canada or internationally. And we're really interested in the human side of some of these complicated and challenging problems that Canada and Alberta are facing in terms of protecting lands, waters and atmospheres and aquatic species, plants and other wildlife. So both Janelle and I also have some training in scientific endeavors. I have a an undergraduate degree in biological sciences. I did a master of science degree in rural sociology at the University of Alberta, which helped me look at questions of indigenous relationships to environment in Northern Canada. And so we are, you know, we are friends with scientists. We work closely with scientists. And what we bring to the table is we're really interested in those human dimensions of how science is practiced. And then as a Métis uh, sociologist, anthropologist, I am also interested in how do we encourage non-Indigenous scientists to really understand their legal obligations and their ethical obligations to Indigenous laws in protecting uh, different homelands and different watersheds. And so while at first blush, it might seem a bit strange that a, a bunch of social scientists and architects <laughs> are leading this project, we think it makes a lot of sense because we have all spent a lot of time interlocuting with scientists, practicing science ourselves in different ways. And we really enjoy getting to create spaces where we can encourage scientists to learn from the communities that they serve and the communities that inform the work that they are doing. And at this moment, it's really crucial in Alberta, especially for conservation scientists, ecologists, and others to be paying close attention to Indigenous knowledge about these areas and Indigenous laws that give us tools to protect these areas and encourage the well-being of fish like bull trout. Now, the project is sponsored by SHRC, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. This was a pretty big deal. What's so special about it? Well, we were one of the inaugural recipients of the New Frontiers and Research Fund exploration stream of funding. And so we applied in early 2019 and received the funding in early 2019. And we were one of the first teams in Canada to get one of these, these grants. And this new granting scheme is really focused on supporting interdisciplinary, high-risk, high-reward research. So some of the principles that really guide this particular project is that we wanted to make sure that uh, scientific efforts to protect both the bighorn country and bull trout 
were really paying attention to Indigenous knowledge keepers. And so we were very lucky that Mr. William Snow, who is currently the acting director of consultation at the Stony Tribal Administration, agreed to be part of our founding project team and has been a very, very important part of the team leading us through this project and, and guiding us to doing all of this work in a really, you know, thoughtful and ethical and, and, and grounded way that actually serves the needs of Stony Nakoda community members. And so this project, we're so lucky that this new funding scheme really prioritized uh, both this idea of high risk, high reward, and also was very, very, very clear that the work had to be very much founded on incorporating diverse communities within the project. And so that meant to us that there was definitely clearly a place for Indigenous community partners to be a significant part of the project, to drive the project, and that there was a chance we would actually get funding to do something that was centered on Indigenous community needs. And we were so lucky that we got one of these inaugural grants because it's allowed us to now develop other community projects that are meant to meet the needs that community members have raised with us that they want to have addressed. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time in Canadian research because all of the the federal research bodies are investing significantly in this interdisciplinary work. And so for an interdisciplinary scholar like me who has training in both the hard sciences <laughs> and in the social sciences, and I'm also an artistic researcher, I do what is called research creation, which is research that's driven by artistic experimental approaches. Uh, this is one of the you know, one of the times when work like ours can actually be funded and we don't have to fight tooth and nail to make the case for why our work is useful. The, the funding bodies already recognize the value of this work and are investing significantly and meaningfully in it. And we're incredibly grateful. Well, you've alluded to some of the different components in this particular project. Can you just delineate or outline them for me? Because some of them are kind of experimental, aren't they? They're a little bit different than the usual run-of-the-mill research project. Yeah, so when we put the word restoring in that project, this is a research approach that has been well-developed in critical Indigenous studies in Canada, the U.S., and in other places. So restoring, you know, the way that we approach it is guided by people like Robin Wall Kimmerer um, and other thinkers who have used story as a methodology. So there's an amazing Indigenous scholar in the U.S. named Kutcher Rizling Baldi, and she, you know, she draws heavily on Indigenous storytelling theory and Indigenous story methods. And I guess a way to sort of encapsulate that in a few words is to say that stories are an important tool in a lot of different dynamic and diverse Indigenous nations around the world as a way of communicating significant knowledge, communicating information about protocols and practices that people are expected to follow. And also, as Kutcher Zingbaldi alludes to in some of her work, drawing on other significant and important Indigenous thinkers, story is itself theory. And so we're using story in this work as a way to sort of tease apart some of the complexities in how do we enact good relations with fish, with water, and how do we encourage non-Indigenous people to enact good relations with Indigenous peoples and nations in, you know, in Alberta. Those can be really complex conversations to have, you know, in this day and age, having deep, meaningful conversations is sometimes challenging due to the polarizing nature of some of the, you know, media available to us. And so 
our idea is that if you can bring it back to the stories that we tell about ourselves and about place and the stories that we tell with and alongside fish, you can actually draw out all sorts of really interesting things about what our shared goals are, what our shared concerns are. And in a place like Alberta, which is a very dynamic and diverse place, fish stories can be a way to have conversations about complex issues like environmental issues in a way that draws people into a space of thinking together and thinking across different experiences. And so I love fish stories because almost everyone has a fish story. (laughs) And in our work, we say, you know, every part of Canada is a fish place. And and many different Indigenous nations across Canada have laws and stories and practices that are tied to, you know, how do we treat fish with respect? And so I see that as a really useful way to kind of draw different communities across the country that sometimes might be struggling to find a, a way to talk about our shared futures. Fish have emerged in my own research as sort of this paradoxical um partner in these conversations because when we talk about fish and water people have a lot of things to say and 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 I find that really exciting can you give me an example uh yeah well you know just thinking back to early 2021 when some controversy emerged over plans to change the land designation the category 2 lands in Alberta which had been protected since 1976 under a particular provincial categorization that meant that certain forms of resource extraction couldn't happen in that region. And that was changed. And the way the change was communicated to the general public, some people felt wasn't fully transparent. And in the sort of ensuing conversations that emerged in Alberta, what was really interesting was to see that people who you might consider to be situated on completely different uh, parts of the political spectrum converged on their concern about fish. And so you saw country music stars and and artists and ranchers and different community members all articulating a shared concern for fish and not just any fish. A lot of them were talking about trout, which I found kind of delightful because I love trout and we work on finding ways to protect trout and we support the work of other organizations in the province which are working to protect native trout like the Native Trout Collaborative, which is made up of wonderful community organizations like Cows and Fish and Sea Paws and Trout Unlimited and other incredible folks. And so, yeah, you know, in early 2021, when the Albertan public, you know, sort of articulated that they wanted to be consulted differently on those changes to that categorization of those lands in in the eastern slopes, fish were one of these sort of unifying forces that a lot of people agreed oh, we have to make sure we take care of them and that we enact good relations with them. And of course, there were uh, Indigenous community leaders who also spoke about the importance of protecting fish, drawing on Indigenous law. And while it's not my place to comment on any sort of like particular approaches that any community takes, because I'm not from that part of Alberta, and that's not my traditional territory, what, what I took from, you know, this kind of vibrant discourse that was happening was that fish were one of these kind of like unifying points where we could all articulate concerns collectively and talk across difference in a, you know, sort of impassioned way. Um, And that to me was exactly what our idea of fish restoring in Alberta is about. It's about, you know, telling stories with and alongside fish uh, and thinking about fish have been 
on the planet for hundreds of millions of years, but they're not doing very well right now at the confluence of climate change and changes accruing from resource extraction and colonialism and other factors. And so what I try to encourage in my own work and what we are doing in this project as well is sort of encourage different parties to sort of talk about, you know, what does our shared future with fish look like? And that can elicit all kinds of really interesting responses. And so that's the kind of work that we're trying to support and foster and encourage a future for Canada and Alberta that includes vibrant fish communities. Well, since the bull trout is sort of the focal center of this, tell me a little bit about the bull trout. My understanding is that it used to be very plentiful. Yeah. So uh, Lorelai Hansen, who's one of our partners on this project, she's done a lot of background research for us on the project and has done a really beautiful job sort of documenting that exact history <laughs> of how bull trout went from plentiful to threatened uh, today. And it's exactly that. Bull trout were at one time found in waterways almost all the way down to present day Edmonton, but have been extirpated from the lower reaches of many of these rivers in Alberta and now are found mainly only in foothill and mountain bodies of water. And, and even then they are under extreme threat as the Native Trout Collaborative uh, likes to articulate in their advocacy work, native trout like bull trout, West Slope cutthroat trout, and Athabasca rainbow trout, which are all not doing well in Alberta at the moment, they need clear, cool, and connected waterways. And those have been significantly impacted by different things that are going on in the province. But that longer history of the extirpation and decline of bull trout does come back to the fact that when early settlers arrived in Alberta in the 1800s, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, when more and more settlers were setting up in the province, uh, bull trout were deemed to be a fish that was too easy to take the lure and wasn't much of a challenge to fish. And so they preferred introduced species that they introduced themselves. And it was actually deemed a, a garbage fish. And people were encouraged to fish it out and remove it from the waterways to allow these other species that they preferred uh, to flourish. Bull trout also, they face an uphill battle from then <laughs> because also they have been interbreeding with some of these introduced species, which impacts, you know, their, their capacity to flourish. And then as people like Lauren Fitch have, have shown just the drastic impacts that settler colonization and resource extraction and agriculture and other things have had on Alberta's waterways have worked very much against fish like bull trout. And they're also considered an indicator species. So they are a species that if it's not doing well, you should really start to be concerned because it heralds other significant and alarming changes happening in the waterways that it occupies. So poor bull trout, it was maligned. It wasn't honored as the fish that it should be. But efforts did emerge in the 1970s, 1980s. Naturalists in the province started to take you know, significant note of the ways that previous attitudes, settler attitudes towards the fish had impacted it. And so naturalists, including the late Wayne Roberts, moved in the early 1980s to start advocating for the province of Alberta to protect bull trout. And over a very long period of time, that finally has culminated in the recent listing of the species as threatened under the Species at Risk Act in 2019. 
and then subsequently species recovery strategy was issued by Fisheries and Oceans Canada and a protective order was issued in 2021. But it's been a very long uphill journey for the bull trout. And in the meantime, their numbers continue to decline. So you've been working on this for about two, two and a half years. When will the research wrap up and what do you hope to achieve with it? That's a great question. So we officially wrap up this project in March 2023. So the funding body very, very generously gave us an extension on this project to account for the impacts that COVID has had on our ability to meet with community partners in person over the last few years. But at the moment, we're wrapping up by preparing a website that features findings and and insights from the ongoing project. This podcast will also be a part of that knowledge mobilization. So there will be an entire show called The Bull Trout Show. And then also, we've been very fortunate through the community relationships that we are building to be grounding future projects. And so Dr. Janelle Baker and Dr. Allison Holloway are working with Mr. William Snow and they secured a $1.4 million grant from the Canadian Institutes for Health Research this year. And they will be working with Stony Nakoda Nations partners to do community-based monitoring on selenium, which is one of the pollutants that we are concerned about that can have a significant impact on bull trout and West Slope cutthroat trout and other aquatic species. So this project, although it is officially wrapping up in the spring of 2023, it has created a grounding for future collaborations. And we've also developed wonderful um, partnerships and collaborations with scientists in the province. So we're so lucky to work with Dr. Stephen Momosi and Dr. Christy Sampson, who are working with us. And we connected with them through the University of Calgary. And we'll just keep going from there. So, and of course, as I've already mentioned, we've been able to connect with members of the Native Trope Collaborative, which is a team of advocates, scientists, naturalists, and others who are advocating for the protection of Indigenous trout species in the province. And we are currently working on potentially having a museum exhibit that we'll be launching with the help of Dr. Lorelai Hansen, and that will allow us to further explore some of these restoring methods. So we'll have a website up soon called restoringbulltrout.ca where you'll be able to check everything out. And you might have already visited it if you're listening to this podcast, because this podcast will be featured there. I was speaking with Dr. Zoe Todd, an Associate Professor of Indigenous Studies at Simon Fraser University. Her colleague and co-investigator is Dr. Janelle Baker, an Assistant Professor of Anthropology at Athabasca University. The project is called Plural Perspectives on Bighorn Country, Restorying Land Use, Governance and Bull Trout Population Health in Alberta. And it's sponsored by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. You can find more information by visiting the websites restoryingbulltrout.ca and freshwaterfishfutures.ca. This podcast is posted on Buzzsprout, Apple, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Technical production by Brendan Cross. Thanks for listening to The Bull Trout Show. I'm Cheryl Croucher.